Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Welcome to part two in a two-part series on the Humanitarian Initiative A groundbreaking effort by governments, the Red Cross And civil society organisations to reawaken the global public To the unparalleled danger of nuclear weapons and to establish a treaty that outlaws them once and for all. In last week's episode, we heard about two major diplomatic conferences on the horrific effects of nuclear weapons, held in Oslo, Norway in 2013 and Nayarit, Mexico in 2014. This week, we continue the journey towards a ban. The Humanitarian Initiative has illuminated not only the nature and extent of the nuclear threat in today's world, but also the full cast of characters involved in its perpetuation. While just nine nations possess nuclear weapons, around 30 more claim that they enhance their security. Among them are five European nations that host US nuclear weapons. Belgium, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands and Turkey. All refuse to acknowledge officially the presence of these weapons on their soil, adhering to a policy of nuclear opacity not unlike that of Israel. Russia has condemned the U.S. deployment of nuclear weapons in Europe. Moscow says the move contravenes the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, or the NPT. Until recently, this wider group of ostensibly non-nuclear nations had largely avoided criticism. But the humanitarian initiative has forced them to defend their belief in the military utility of nuclear weapons, prompting sharp rebukes from their own citizens and raising the ire of other nations. At the United Nations a few months before the Nayarit Conference, Australia had refused to endorse a 125-nation statement on nuclear weapons issued by its neighbour and ally New Zealand. It objected specifically to a sentence declaring that nuclear weapons should never be used again. This is New Zealand Disarmament Ambassador Del Higgy. Today, this statement demonstrates the growing political support for the humanitarian focus. It is in the interest of the very survival of humanity that nuclear weapons are never used again under any circumstances. That position, Australia said, ran counter to its doctrine of extended nuclear deterrence. Most NATO members, too, had declined New Zealand's invitation to sign on. Instead, they subscribed to an Australian-led counter-statement, emphasising the supposed security value of nuclear weapons. But what if, at some point, under pressure from parliamentarians and the public, these nations were to join the international mainstream in rejecting nuclear weapons? What if, one after another, they were to sign and ratify a ban treaty? A change in position, even by some, would at the very least help erode the perception that nuclear weapons are somehow legitimate, indeed that they are signifiers of prestige and status. It would contribute to the progressive stigmatisation of the ultimate WMD. Thomas Nash, a member of ICANN's International Steering Group, describes the potential political value of a ban. It would force governments 
to ask the question, do we want these weapons to be legal or do we want them to be illegal? And we believe most societies uh, will, will answer that we want these weapons to be illegal. It will give a huge rallying point and uh, kind of mobilising capability for civil society and for parliamentarians and, and officials and governments that want to do something about nuclear weapons. It will give them a question, a political question to, to rally around. And it will fundamentally change the landscape on nuclear weapons. We're very confident that uh, this, this ban is coming. The new treaty would no doubt influence national conversations about the modernisation of nuclear forces. In the United Kingdom, for instance, where debate is raging over whether to replace an ageing fleet of nuclear-armed submarines, a ban could help tip the scales in favour of disarmament. It could also compel banks and pension funds globally to divest from companies involved in the manufacture of nuclear weapons. This is Dutch campaigner Christa van Velsen, from the peace organization PAX. The stigma on nuclear weapons is growing. More and more banks and pension funds refuse to to invest in these weapons. Um, This needs to be translated in a ban on nuclear weapons and a ban on investing in these weapons. Nuclear war, yeah. Nuclear war, yeah. Talking about, yeah. Nuclear war, yeah. On the eve of the third conference on the humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons in Vienna in December of 2014, ICANN hosted another major civil society forum, this time attracting more than 600 people from around the world. Nobel Peace Prize laureate Desmond Tutu had this to say. Our task, of course... It's not an easy one, but nor was ending apartheid in South Africa. Through perseverance, conviction and determination, we defeated the forces of injustice and hatred. We won because we stood on the right side of history. We stood for a just and moral cause. And you too stand on the right side of history. I'm confident that before long, the voices in favor of total nuclear disarmament will drown out those who say that the world cannot change. The writing should already be on the wall for the nuclear powers. A treaty banning nuclear weapons is on its way. The momentum of this campaign is unstoppable. You achieved much in Oslo and Nayarit. This Vienna conference, no doubt, will be another important milestone on the path to a ban. My dear friend and comrade, the late Nelson Mandela was an outspoken critic of nuclear arms. He regarded the dismantlement of South Africa's nuclear arsenal as a necessary part of our transition from a pariah state to an accepted member of the family of nations. He implored all other nuclear powers to disarm as well. In his honor and for the sake of humanity, let us all intensify our efforts to bring the era of nuclear weapons to an end. 
Austria's Foreign Minister Sebastian Kurz welcomed 158 nations to the official conference, among them the United States and United Kingdom, latecomers to the humanitarian initiative. France was the only NATO member to shun the gathering. This is Foreign Minister Kurz. We want to see a new momentum for concrete progress on global nuclear disarmament. In the follow-up of the conferences in Norway and in Mexico, we hope that our discussions here in Vienna will contribute to this aim. We need to challenge old thinking. We need to take in the knowledge of experts, the voices of the civil society, and we need much more global awareness. I look forward to our discussions here in Vienna, and I would wish that this conference can be a step leading to a world without nuclear weapons. As at the Oslo and Nayarit conferences, the personal testimonies of the victims of nuclear weapons featured prominently in the program. Setsuko Thurlow, a leading advocate for a treaty banning nuclear weapons, describes the horror unleashed on her city, Hiroshima. It gives me great satisfaction that these conferences have renewed the focus on humanitarian dimension of nuclear weapons, the fundamental issue. As a 13-year-old schoolgirl, I witnessed my city of Hiroshima, blinded by the flash, flattened by the hurricane-like blast, burned in the heat of 4,000 degrees Celsius, and contaminated by the radiation of one atomic bomb. A bright summer morning turned to dark twilight with smoke and dust rising in the mushroom cloud. The spreading firestorm and the foul stench of burnt flesh filled the air. Miraculously, I was rescued from the rubble of a collapsed building about 1.8 kilometer from the hypocenter. Most of my classmates who were with me in the same room were burned alive. I can still hear their voices calling for their mothers, calling for God, for help. As I escaped with two other surviving girls, we saw a procession of ghostly figures slowly shuffling from the center of the city. Grotesquely wounded people whose clothes were tattered or who were made naked by the blast. Within the single flash of light, my beloved city of Hiroshima became a place of desolation with heaps of rubble, skeleton, blackened corpses everywhere. Of the population of 360,000, largely non-combatant women, children, and elderly, most became victims of this indiscriminate massacre 
of the atomic bombing. No human being should ever have to repeat our experience of the inhumane, immoral, and cruel atomic bombing. At Nayarit, we declared that the time has come for action to establish a legally binding framework to ban nuclear weapons. Here in Vienna, let us move forward courageously by concretizing our visions so that we can make the 70th anniversary of atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the appropriate milestone to achieve our goal. The Vienna Conference drew attention also to the impact of nuclear test programs. Speakers from Australia, Kazakhstan, the Marshall Islands and the United States described the ongoing contamination of their lands. This is Sue Coleman-Hasseldine from Sejuna, Australia. Atomic bomb tests began in the desert areas north of my birthplace in 1953, when I was two years old, first at Emu Fields and then Maralinga. The area was picked because the British and Australian governments didn't think our lands were valuable, but Aboriginal people were still looking after and living off the land. The first atomic bomb called Totem One spread far and wide, and there are lots of stories about the black mist it created, which killed, blinded, and made people very sick. The bomb tests continued for many years, right until 1963. Big atomic tests that the British and Australian governments were proud of, and then a whole lot of secret tests that the British did with plutonium. These tests contaminated a huge area and everything in it. First we heard two big bangs, thought it was the great snake digging holes. Then we saw the big cloud, then the big black mist began to roll. The United States was the first government to take the floor following the searing testimonies of the nuclear test survivors. Adam Scheinman, a special representative of the president, declared in no uncertain terms his country's opposition to any moves towards a ban on nuclear weapons. Even close allies, including those working hardest to undermine the humanitarian initiative, considered the remarks unhelpful. Former United Nations disarmament official Richard Lenane mocked the intervention. Mr Chairman, I have nothing to say to the nuclear armed states here, except briefly to express my admiration for the delegate of the United States, who with one insensitive, ill-timed, inappropriate and diplomatically inept intervention yesterday, managed to dispel the considerable goodwill the US had garnered by its decision to participate in this conference. Well done, sir. No, my message today is for those states which do not have nuclear weapons, for those states which, whatever the security threats they face, have forsworn nuclear weapons by joining the NPT, for those states 
which, which despite having no nuclear weapons, unjustly bear the risks and will wear the terrible consequences of their use. And my message to you, states without nuclear weapons, begins with these words from Isaiah. How long, O Lord, until the cities are wasted without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land lies utterly desolate? How long will you keep playing this game? How long will you continue to accept the procrastination, empty promises and endless excuses of the nuclear-armed states? Close to 100 nations delivered statements at the conference. Most called for a treaty that would place nuclear weapons on the same legal footing as other indiscriminate weapons, from biological and chemical agents to landmines and cluster munitions, all of which have been comprehensively banned. Austrian Ambassador Alexander Kement summarised the debate. Many delegations stressed the need for security for all and underscored that the only way to guarantee that security is through the total elimination of nuclear weapons and their prohibition. They expressed support for the negotiation of a new legal instrument prohibiting nuclear weapons, constituting an effective measure towards nuclear disarmament. But his would not be the final words. The Secretary-General of the Austrian Foreign Ministry, Michael Linhart, ended proceedings by issuing a declaration that would become known as the Humanitarian Pledge, a political commitment to fill the legal gap to ban nuclear weapons. Austria pledges to cooperate with all relevant stakeholders, states, international organisations, the International Red Cross and Red Question movements, parliamentarians and civil society in efforts to stigmatise, prohibit and eliminate nuclear weapons in light of their unacceptable humanitarian consequences. Within weeks, nations had begun formally endorsing the humanitarian pledge. The 33 leaders of Latin America and the Caribbean signed up en masse at their annual summit. This simple two-page document had struck a chord, encapsulating, as it does, the strong yearning of the world's nations to render nuclear weapons illegal and obsolete. When a terrible explosion may rain down upon our land, leaving horrible destruction, blotting out the works of man. Are you ready, Are you ready for the great atomic power? Will you rise and meet your Saviour in the air? Will you shout or will you cry when the fire ain't crumbled? In May of 2015, another five-yearly review of the ailing non-proliferation treaty took place in New York. This time, few expected a positive outcome. The nuclear-armed nations had achieved little since the previous review conference in 2010, and their principal objective this time was to thwart the humanitarian initiative. When Switzerland tabled a weak draft outcome document, the nuclear-armed nations recoiled. It was much too strong, they said and so behind closed doors they tore out its few meaningful elements. To adopt this watered-down document would have been a victory for them, a validation in a sense of past and future inaction. But in the end, nothing could be agreed. South Africa's ambassador, Nazipo Tseko, lambasted the Nuclear Five for their failure to meet the world's expectations. On so many fronts, where progress was expected, it wasn't accomplished. There is a sense in which the NPT is degenerated 
into minority rule, similar to what we had in South Africa under apartheid. The will of the few will prevail regardless of whether it makes moral sense. By the time the gavel came down on the final day of the month-long conference, the humanitarian pledge had gained the formal backing of 107 nations. In the absence of an official outcome document, it was the only widely accepted pathway forward. Though the nuclear disarmament talks failed of a lack of consensus among participants, a humanitarian pledge initiated by Austria is being seen as a paradigm shift. Prasuri Somaleski reports from Vienna. Supporters of the humanitarian pledge say it overrules the simply untruthful claim that nuclear weapons provide a peaceful deterrence. An overwhelming majority of MPT member states agree it's up to the rest of the world to start the process of prohibiting the use of nuclear weapons as we near the 70th anniversary of the US atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In September of 2015, in the UN General Assembly, Pope Francis added his voice to the mounting calls for a ban on nuclear weapons. This is a snippet of his speech interpreted from Spanish to English. There is urgent need to work for a world free of nuclear weapons in full application of the Non-Proliferation Treaty in letter and spirit towards the goal of a complete prohibition of these weapons. A month later, nations voted at the United Nations to establish a disarmament working group that will meet in Geneva this year. Its mandate, to develop new legal provisions and norms to achieve and maintain a nuclear weapon-free world. The humanitarian initiative continues. The United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon has condemned North Korea's announcement of its latest nuclear test, calling it profoundly destabilising for regional security. This test once again violates numerous Security Council resolutions despite the united call by the international community to seize such activities. It is also a grave contravention of the international norm against nuclear testing. This act is profoundly destabilizing for regional security and seriously undermines international non-proliferation efforts. I condemn it unequivocally. Leaders the world over swiftly joined the United Nations Secretary-General in denouncing North Korea's fourth nuclear test earlier this year. Among the loudest were those of nations that themselves possess nuclear weapons or claim the protection of a so-called nuclear umbrella. But there can be no right hands for wrong weapons, to borrow a phrase from the Secretary-General. If we are to succeed in eradicating this scourge from the planet, we must begin by challenging the double standards that throughout the nuclear age have so plagued disarmament efforts. We must declare nuclear weapons unacceptable for all. North Korea's outrageous rhetoric in truth is little different from that of other nuclear-armed nations. When any nation defends nuclear weapons for itself, it defends them for all. Unless we reject this duplicity, 
unless we accept the fundamental wrongness of nuclear weapons and their incompatibility with humanity, it is all but certain that one day, perhaps when we least expect it, through carelessness, recklessness or sheer madness, they will be used again. And when that day comes, millions will perish in an instant. Their bodies, our bodies, reduced to ash and vapour, extinguished and uncountable, or torn apart in the blast, seared beyond recognition, irradiated to the bone. And ghostly figures, alive but doomed, will wander the streets searching for loved ones and for help that may never come. The coalescing firestorms of what had once been our cities will loft soot high into the atmosphere blocking the sun's rays. A prolonged artificial night will descend upon us. And this dreadful news of a cataclysm too horrifying to be true will spread rapidly across the globe, outpaced only by a plume of gene-altering, cancer-causing fallout. Invisible, silent, scentless, persistent for generations to come. The surviving world, shocked and disbelieving, stricken with grief and anger, will demand to know, why had our leaders not acted to prevent this holocaust? Why had they lacked the resolve even to outlaw these horrific weapons? How could decent, responsible people have argued for them? And we will pause in silence as this new reality hits us like the delayed shockwaves of a faraway explosion with a multi-megaton yield. And then we will ask, what do we do now? I heard the sound of a thunder that roared out a warning. I heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world. I heard 100 drummers whose hands were blazing. I heard 10,000 whispering and nobody listening. I heard one person starve, I heard many people laughing I heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter I heard the sound of a clown who cried in the alley And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard It's a hard, it's a hard are gonna fall. That concludes the two-part series on the new movement to ban nuclear weapons, written and spoken by Tim Wright and produced by Matt Kelly and Jem Rommeld. This is The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri land in Melbourne and broadcast across the continent on the Community Radio Network. To find out more about the campaign to ban the bomb, visit allofthews.icanw.org and get involved. To contact The Radioactive Show, you can find us on Facebook or email radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The music you've heard on this episode is from Yola Tengo, Sun Me, Paul Kelly, The Leuven Brothers, The Talbot Brothers, Bob Dylan and Charles Mingus. Thanks for listening and for a nuclear-free future. Drop it.
No, 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 drop it, stop it, bebop it. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is... A bad deal, but Muckley is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.